thanks for all to for for being here. Thanks, thanks Aaron as well. Today I have the pleasure of introducing you, Aaron, Aaron Blumenthal, who I thought your last name was not your real last name, <laughs> if not a, an artistic one, um, on our early days in the 500. So today I have the, per the pleasure of introducing Aaron Blumenthal, one of the, in my opinion, best growth hackers from Silicon Valley. Aaron helped us growing over 950% in revenue within our first year in business as we got into 500 startups here in Silicon Valley. Uh, Aaron is a great person and also a very fun one. Uh, I always remember him using the, his cool leggings and, and moving around the office with his great scooter. Uh, I don't know if you're missing that, Aaron, with the, with the quarantine. <laughs> Um, Aaron always had passion for startups. He serves as COO in, in some of them before becoming a global director in Pioneer Startups Acceleration Programs. And for the ones who don't know, 500 Startups is the world's most active fund. Companies that get invested by them are considered, considered the top 1% globally speaking. And Intercom, TalkDesk, GitLab are just a couple of the fun portfolio companies. So welcome, Aaron. <laughs> Glad to be here. Great. Thanks. Thanks for being here. So for, for those who stay until the end, Aaron will be available to answer any of your questions. We're going to separate this podcast into 40 minutes of conversation and like 20 minutes on, on Q&A. And so you can use the, the chat to start asking questions now. And if you're liking the video podcast, give Aaron a, a, thumbs, up, a thumbs up here. <laughs> so Aaron, first question, first question for you would be like, what is growth hacking and what's its difference with digital marketing? Yeah, that is a, a great question and it's also the right one. Um, I see, I'm old, right? You can tell I've actually gotten a lot grayer during the quarantine. So I've got this like lovely patch coming in here. And um, uh, I remember when marketing was just called marketing back in my day, you know, and then all of a sudden people started using this like word growth hacker, like what does it mean? And it's coined, you know, um, by, a, uh, by a 500 alum actually, a guy named Sean Ellis, um, who runs growthhackers.com, I believe. I definitely recommend subscribing to their mailing list um, if you're in the growth mode, great tips. Um, but really like growth hacking versus marketing in my mind is what do you, what can you do to sort of engineer your way into some growth for cheap, right? Like if you've got a giant million dollar budget and you can just go, you know, optimize on ads and these sorts of things, that's nice. But, you know, growth hacking is really relevant to like startups, small, medium sized businesses, um, earlier stage companies, uh, because you have to get to growth, but you don't have unlimited money to do there. So, Growth hacking is marketing under unusual or serious constraints and just taking a look at what skills do you have in house and what creative ways can you apply those skills to get the kind of growth that you need in order to grow and sustain your business. Yeah, there are a lot of myths around growth hacking, right? Which are, which are the most common myths that you know uh, about growth hacking and, and why people think is complicated or even kind of like utopian or impossible? Um, I think the idea that you have to be a growth hacker to do growth hacking is very much a myth. Um, I think what you have to be is, is creative, resourceful, um, and, you know, do things that are unexpected. Um, I don't know if we'll have time today, but I actually prepared um, a, a modified version of a talk I give called 60 Growth Hacks in 60 Minutes. And I'll give a copy to everybody here who's uh, joining us um, at the end. Um, and maybe if we have time, we'll go through some. But you'll see in this deck that really all it is is taking information, like resources that are available to everyone just by using the search engine and doing some interesting things to like go a little bit extra of a step forward. Um, but, you know, to become a growth hacker doesn't mean you go to a specific kind of school. It doesn't mean you hang out with specific type of people. You just have to think about growth and, and ways to get to a problem um, in a peculiar way. And it does take practice, sure, but anyone can do it. So I'd say that's the biggest misconception. 
That's great. And when you say like everyone can do it, and do you see agencies, for example, like marketing agencies serving their clients by providing these kind of services? Um, I haven't personally seen them out there, but I work in a very different market segment than a lot of agencies. I will tell you though, um, in my past past life, one of my first companies was an advertising agency. Um, really it was just kind of a lead generation agency and later we took on some clients, but, um, SEO in my view, which is what we were good at. I ranked number one for car insurance for several years, number one for mortgage loans, number one for student loans, number one for anything that I could get my hands on, right? And all SEO is, is growth hacking, right? Because it's not a usual unit economics paid acquisition sort of exchange. You have to hack your way into how Google thinks and you have to hack your way into, you know, some other variables that if you get me started, I won't stop talking about, but like <laughs> that is growth hacking or one application of it. So really, you know, why we chose SEO is because I'm good at thinking like a search engine, right? But that doesn't mean that, you know, other people wouldn't choose a different sort of stack or tool in order to go hack their way into a, to, um, to customers. I think the downside, if you're an agency of thinking about using growth hacking for your client set is that it, it, it can be rickety. And by that, I mean, you're taking usually combinations of tools that weren't meant to work together and stitching them together in a very temporary way. Um, and it also doesn't really scale, right? So like it's, it's difficult. I'm, I'm known for my Craigslist growth hacks, for instance. Um, and growth hacking Craigslist is difficult because Craigslist is really good at blocking people who are doing anything that looks a little bit scalable. And the only way I could get around that, and this is a true story, is I moved into the house where Craigslist was founded on the assumption that the IP address would be whitelisted for like testing. No way. <laughs> yeah, this is this is actually in. Um, you, this is a, you didn't know these ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in in the in Sunset on, on Irving and Ninth, and the house that Craigslist was literally founded in. I rented a room in the attic, right? And I ran a four-person uh, shop out of there for a while, and um, because the IP was whitelisted because people were testing in there, I could sneak in underneath their radar and get away with things that people couldn't. And so, like, that's a growth hack, right? It's not a software. It's just a way of thinking. How can I sneak my way into doing something cool or unique? And so that's fun for internal working with clients. It's a little bit more of a dark art, but I mean, just off the cuff here, um, what I would suggest to any agencies that are, that are watching is, you know, think of growth hacks as maybe I don't have hire a growth hacker on staff and use as the lead nurturing mechanism, teach people how to grow, like maybe offer courses or something like this. You can't afford us yet but let me help you grow your business so you can afford to afford us later. And now you've built a relationship too. That's not unlike what 500 startups does. I give talks like this all the time, right? You're not a big enough startup, you know, for us to invest in yet, but because I'm gonna come here and tell you that I like snuck into Craigslist's house in order to do whatever, you're like, that guy's cool. I'm gonna keep him up to date, I'm gonna keep him informed. So lots of different ways that you can apply growth hacking to any business. Um, just be careful that you manage the client expectations in the appropriate way. Nice. That's a great tip. The one I, I, I do know, and I want you to share with, with the people here is, can you tell us more about your experience achieving the organic Google ranking number one with the high demand keywords in the States? What do you do? What, like, what do you consider the, is the secret to get there? Yeah. I mean, the, the worst kept secret about SEO uh, is it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> And the way that a lot of companies think about startups or, or agencies or anybody else, or the way a lot of companies think about it is, I know I have budget to do this, right? And then everything else I need will just happen because SEO, right? Um, SEO is difficult. I mean, it took me not knowing how to do it. It took me 18 months to get from day one of saying, okay, I'm going to go after this phrase car insurance. And then getting onto the first page and staying there on a reliable way it took me like a year and a half, right? And though it didn't cost me anything to rank number one, what it did cost me was time, right? And so the right question to be thinking about like for SEO specifically is like, okay, do I have the time to invest in doing the things that are necessary in order to get a website to rank number one? So like, that's the first thing to think through. The second thing to think through is just sort of like, and I'll, I'll, I'll add to the um, deck that I'll send you guys a, a link to my um, 
standard SEO presentation, but um, the short version of the story is the reason why Google is Google, what they were doing different before, you know, AltaVista, Webcrawler, you know, all these other like smaller search engines that no one remembers anymore, is they looked at links incoming to your website like votes, right? And so because people, the internet would interact with your website with votes, links incoming, right? That's how the internet said, this website over here has lots of links incoming. So therefore it is authoritative about something, right? And as Google got older, they got better at like really adding some color to that. So a bunch of links from irrelevant websites wouldn't do as much for you as they used to. That's essentially how I built my empire, right? As I just went and found creative ways to get a bunch of links jammed to my website, which is carinsuranceRates.com. Not a very exciting web name, but it, I mean, it ranked really well. So like, you know, you have to get a lot of links incoming, but unless you want to build an internal SEO shop whose job it is to go and do that, the real trick is to say, what is it about my product or service that I can do to get people to, to uh, link to me naturally? Um, I could talk about this all day and I'm sure you have an agenda. So you just shut me up when it's time to move on. Okay? No, no, but I mean, this is totally worth for, I mean, those tips are great. And I was just thinking, for example, you normally support companies since their early days. At least I remember like when like two years, three years ago, when when we when we went to 500, like how would you help them scale? I mean, core three years ago, like and and most of the companies you you support that are on, on their early days, how would you sub, how would you help them scale with low budget and with no time for? I mean, no time for growth, right? In the, in the sense of like not having one year and a half uh to just make their seo better right yeah yeah i mean so a couple things and i'll try to be like super brief here like the i know of personally and this is data information i'm not like in the day-to-day -day seo game right now so i'm sure like i'm the information isn't fabulous but like i know personally of about 200 different things i could do to influence rankings and i'm sure that's just scratching the surface of what google does in order to make that magic happen right all of that to say that if you want to set yourself up for future SEO success, don't worry about getting into like the nitty gritty of keyword densities and all these other things, you know, that you can really spend a lot of time on and just understand that Google's customer expects them when they, when they go into Google and they type a phrase, Google's customer expects them to, to produce a page of finely curated results that answer their question or get them what they want. Right. So right away, we know we have to build content and an experience, a conversion experience that is aligned with what the customer is searching for, right? And in order for that experience to show up at the top of rankings, we have to get people to link to it. So, you know, build something people want, make it easy to use and get links inbound to it so that Google knows it exists and it's um, voted, if you will, popular enough to be at the top of the rankings. So an example of how to get a bunch of links over time is less about like going and hiring an SEO. I got a lot of air quotes today. I don't know what that's about. Um, going and hiring an SEO to go and get links for you. Uh, yeah, okay, maybe. Um, I've ruined domains to the point where they will never rank again. So be careful what you, what you buy <laughs> um, in terms of like getting help to do that. But like um, think of setting up your product in such a way that people will naturally want to link to it. So for example, um, everybody knows Mixpanel, or if you don't, you, um, you know, Google Analytics is essentially a different way of doing analytics, right? A little bit more event focused. What, what, what Mixpanel did was they changed their pricing strategy to influence their SEO strategy. And by that is they, they give you a freemium version, right? You get a certain number of events. And then after the freemium version expires, meaning you've used up all your events for this month, they give you a freemium plus version if you go and add a link to their website at the bottom of your, of your homepage. And you'll go and you'll do that because in the moment you're like, I just need more event tracking. So they take something that you need and they give you that for free because all it costs you is a link and that's not worth a whole lot to you, but it's worth a lot to them. And this is how they ranked number one for analytics package, right? Um, pretty quickly because a bunch of different websites went and took their homepage and put powered by mixed panel analytics at the bottom just to get a few more free um, tracking events, right? And then as these companies grew up, 
they often forgot to take off that link or you know they started paying for it anyway so Mixpanel took that pricing strategy and turned it into an seo strategy and that's the essence of a growth hack so wow. think about doing that for your own business like how can you get people to link to you as a form of payment um, and as startups, you know, go and do that or small businesses go and do that over time, you'll amass enough link value that, that rankings will natural occur. And then after that, you just have to go optimize. How do you make, you know, specific rankings trigger? That's a different fight for a different day. That's a great one. Uh, and Arne, um, in your experience, how badly do companies handle the digital marketing budget? Like what are the most common mistakes that you think can be avoided? Yeah, I mean, uh, you want companies in general like SMBs or like startups? Uh, we can we can talk about both. If you okay. if you if you think that there are different kind of like failures that they that they do, we can yeah. we can separate them. Sure, sure, sure. So um, with uh, with startups, because that's kind of like near and dear to my heart. Of course, it's what I do for a living. Um, a lot of a lot of founders, if they're not growth people, right, they like to hand their budget to someone else, right, and just not think about it. And when I think about startups or early stage businesses or businesses that are selling something that's new, novel, or a little bit, it's not a widget that everybody understands how this widget works, right? The growth process is intrinsically linked to the customer interview process in that different ways you talk about your product, different segments you market your product to, helps you learn a little bit more about what problem it is that your product is helping your customer solve. Not in a technical way, but like in a spiritual way, right? Everyone says, don't sell the drill, sell the hole. People wanna buy a drill, they want something to drill a hole, right? So like, like what, learning, learning about your customers through the marketing message that they resonate to is like huge because it also tells you how your product should act after they've gone through the trouble of converting for it. So that's one thing. And the other thing that I just, you know, as a former agency person, um, no one's going to spend your dollar more carefully than you are. Right. And in fact, you know, the incentives on the agency side are usually aligned because it's usually a percentage of spend um, to go and spend as much money as possible while returning the bare minimum amount of, uh, of outcomes, whatever that's defined as for the customer, right? And so there's a little bit of misalignment of like goals and priorities. And so a lot of the um, firms that I see my startups work with, you know, after they're done with um, our programs, they don't take that typical agency pricing model. Um, no. It's usually something that's a little bit more aligned to like a CPA as opposed to a percentage spend or something like this. Yeah. So, and that's a startup. What would you say about the, the SMB? Yeah, for, for the small and medium-sized business, I think, you know, a lot of times it's difficult for an agency to articulate this is what we're good at. Like a small and medium-sized business um, can be a little less technologically advanced, I would say, right? They, mm -hmm. they're, they're brick and mortar, right? You know, a website is something that they have, you know, they built because they felt like they had to, as opposed to a startup, like a website is usually core to its product, right? So the, the attitudes are different. And then on top of that, the um, small and medium-sized business, I feel they don't know how to hold a agency accountable or they might be a little bit slower moving, right? Yeah. So the number of agencies, as an SEO hardcore person, right? The number of agencies I've interacted with who do SEO, who don't actually have any idea how SEO works is quite, quite many, <laughs> quite a lot, um, you know, and, and so like you have to be a little bit sophisticated as a consumer of this like agency service to know how to ask for what you need and also make sure that you're getting it. And so that's why it's really important to, you know, uh, really understand who you're giving a, a not small chunk of your budget to, to, you know, drive the success of your business. Are these people trustworthy? Do they know what they're doing? And are their interests aligned with yours? Wow. What about, what about corporations, like big companies? Yeah. Yeah. This I'm a little less experienced in. I mean, like the, the farthest I went down the, um, the corporate space was my, you know, I had clients like Geico and progressive and state farm and things of this nature. And, um, 
there the challenge is speed, right? Because I want to move fast. I want to try new things um, as an agency person. Um, I want to move fast. I want to try new things. And, you know, getting them to align with what you want can be slow moving. And it also can be high cost because it takes time to put together the presentations necessary to convince the VP of marketing or what have you. So again, you know, um, going up against how the brand sees itself out there in the wild, right? And making sure that you're, that you're delivering that message while also being effective at conversion um, is usually a pretty tricky thing to go across. So for example, um, when I was working with Progressive as one of my clients, Progressive Insurance, um, I knew that the people that wanted progressive insurance were subprime customers. Those are usually the best fit for their particular type of profile. Subprime customers means that they don't have great credit. They drive cars that are old and therefore expensive to like, you know, find parts to replace. And so there's a particular type of message that this customer profile resonates with, but it didn't really resonate with progressives. I'm flow, we're fun and bubbly. Right, so there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a way to take that from a search perspective and translate that into a visual perspective. And it takes time to figure that out and it can be a little frustrating if I'm being honest. So yeah, there's, it's, if you're running an agency, I, I always um, know who your customer is, but more importantly, know who your customer isn't. Because if you build a lot of skills that you're not, you're jack of all trades, but master of none, it's really difficult to specialize and rise to the top of a very crowded space. So for us, it was very quite clear. All we had to say was go to Google and Google car insurance and there I am. That was easy, right? But it, we specialized at that at the expense of not getting good at Facebook or other things. Um, Aaron, if you will, if you list your top three growth hacking tips for B2B companies and top three tips for B2C, what would they be? Oh goodness. Um, how, <laughs> I have a That's presentation a up. Do you, want me, do you want me to share my screen? Sure, no worries. Prepared a little something for this. Let me see if yeah. I can, can do this here. And I see some 500 startups folks on the call. Um, we'll be going through this uh, in much greater detail uh, probably really soon. So don't bother me for the presentation yet. We'll get it to you. Uh, I'm just gonna quickly um, take you through a couple things. And um, for B2B and B2C, and I just want to start by reminding everybody that uh, growth hacks are meant to be temporary and non-scalable in nature. And what I'm going to show you may not directly apply to your business. You might need to like massage it a little bit. Um, and I'll be sending out a link to this presentation at the very, very end. So stay tuned. Um, you can look at all the stuff and it's not going to apply to everybody. Um, my, my point is you're going to be bending some rules perhaps breaking the law a little bit and like maybe being a little unethical in some of these cases. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just telling you these are tricks that I've seen done. Um, so like any weapon, please handle it with care. Here we go. So B2B, I remember, B2B. I remember some of these cases. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's take a look at this one. So um, this one's really easy. Um, it's a B2B contact harvesting via LinkedIn. So what I recommend here is like figure out who your customer is and spam them. Um, I think email gets a bad rap. Um, email you can do in bulk. It's usually pretty easy to do in bulk, but like the hard part is getting the right list. And if you buy lists, usually other people bought the list and they're being spammed a lot. So like you also don't know who's on the list and the quality is questionable. So what I like to do is I like to use a combination. And remember growth hacking is about making tools that don't normally work together work together of Google, LinkedIn, and a couple of other tools. My two favorite are Lucia and Contact Out. And again, I'll be sending out this presentation. These are links that you're looking at. So you can, you know, they'll come with instructions, all that good stuff. And you just go and you specifically target people you know are gonna be the decision maker or at least, you know, a part of that initial funnel for whatever it is your business does. So here's an example, right? Here I'm using what's called a site command. This is from SEO days. And what site command does is says, hey, I only want Google to return results from linkedin.com forward slash in. And what this tells you is that um, this tells Google only return LinkedIn stuff, but only return LinkedIn stuff that are profiles because there's a bunch of other content and crap on there, right? Um, the last time I gave this uh, presentation, I was doing, I was in MENA, that stands for Middle East, North Africa. 
So I'm looking for innovation managers in Middle East, North Africa, and the FinTech space. And you can change this to read whatever you want, right? And so here you'll see a bunch of different people who are heads of innovation in the FinTech space in MENA. And this is a list of 2,001 people that, 2,100 people that you can contact, you know, with your offering. So in other words, it's a really highly qualified list, right? So this is in contrast, by the way, of like going to like LinkedIn directly and like messaging people because no one reads your LinkedIn messages. And if they do, it's like, okay, do I want to be in the mood to be sold, right? Moving on, would you get this list? So here's Raja, right? So I don't know if we saw her here. There she is. There's Raja, right? You go, you come here and you use these two tools that I mentioned. Uh, Lucia's over here. That's the one that's hidden in contact out. And what you can do is you can get their various email addresses or even their phone numbers, right? So if you are a cold calling operation, that's what you're good at. You can call Raja if you want, you can text her, right? If you wanna put them into something a bit more scalable like a drip campaign, you can get her, um, her Gmail or Hotmail accounts. Um, usually Lucia does um, corporate information, right? So that you'd say Aaron at 500 startups here. Um, contact out does um, personal information, which is like Aaron at bloomy.com That's my personal email address. So use these two and figure out which inbox you want to land in. And then you can start sending Raja drip emails talking about this FinTech innovation product that you want to sell her in full confidence that, um, that she's a, the right lead because you specifically picked a query that was likely to return 2,100 people just like her. Right? So this is like, you can also automate this. There's a, um, if you've got, if you've got a tech shop internal, uh, you can build spiders that'll crawl this for you. Um, if you don't have that, then one of my other favorite tools, if we're looking at my screen here, is something called data miner and data miner comes with recipes and what data miner will do, please, maybe, um, what data miner will do is it'll allow you to come here and say, okay, I want to go scrape this Google search result with a bunch of different like recipes, right? So go get the name URL and phone number, right? So all you have to do is get all of these LinkedIn URLs, go to the service, upload them, and it'll spit back, you know, 2,100 email addresses or phone numbers for you to start contacting. There are lots of interesting ways to go about doing this. So that's one of my favorite tricks. Um, is this making you happy, Santi? Should I keep yeah, going? Yeah, that's amazing. And I, yeah, I, we still use them. <laughs> we, yeah, we use still. And if there are some clients here, like hearing us, some of them could, like, by seeing this, uh, they can now understand how we got their emails. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, information is good if you know how to find it. So uh, yeah. let's keep doing it. Um, so let's pretend now you've got all of these email addresses, right? We've got Raja email address and all other kind of stuff. And let's also pretend that you've been reaching out to them for a while, or like maybe you're trying to get in front of an executive and you want him or her to have a good impression of you. Um, my suggestion is to make like the Russians and manipulate the election. <laughs> That's political. Sorry. It's a rough time in America. Um, uh, this slide talks about investor manipulation. So we're going to put a small uh, tweak on it and say, this is for your clients. Once you figure out who your, um, uh, who your target is, you take their, um, you take their personal address in this case, the Gmail or the hotmail, right? and you upload it into Facebook and build a custom audience. And you can do a couple of things with that. You can, you know, start to market to people who, you know, look alike audience based on that custom audience. That's one thing. But what I'm suggesting is start serving content or press that's favorable to your brand. It's like such and such agency ranks number one for this, or, you know, we have the best, you know, this, that, and the other. And what you're doing is you're buying space on my phone so that I'm going through Facebook and whatever else, I consistently see this brand impression of, your brand, right, um, for whatever it is that you want to say. So you're manipulating my opinion of you. And then when you call them up and say, hey, this is Santi, I'm from CORE, I'd like to have a conversation, I, I go into my, my head and I think, oh, yeah, that's right. I've, I've read a lot of good things about them re recently, right? So this is a way to artificially create brand affinity, at least temporary brand affinity, by manipulating someone else's social channels because you have their email address. You can upload that into a contact audience and serve it to them directly. And also, it's really cheap. And if you're a startup on the call, you can do this for investors too. Works every time. Nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, have, you ever, going? Uh, have you ever made it for uh, for investors? Oh yeah, yeah. This is how I closed around. You know, like investors 
everyone, everyone makes a purchase decision based on brand. This is why brands work, right? But like they also make decisions based on emotion. And if you can give them enough information to make them feel a certain type of way about your brand or experience, they're going to feel that, right? This is why like information rights and privacy are like the number one issues I think we're facing as a species right now. Because if you yeah. can manipulate the information, you can manipulate the people, you can manipulate the the decisions that these people make and that in the wrong hands can be a bad thing. Like I definitely have swayed an election before. I can tell you that. <laughs> I can't tell you with who, right? I'm under some pretty strict NDAs, but like I've used search results to influence votes before. This information, th these things are happening all the time. So this is just a, a social media version of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Aaron, how can you address growth within product features? I mean, we're talking a lot about marketing. What about product? Mm -hmm. um, what do you mean by this? Like, uh, how do you make, make growth a part of like product development or? Um, first of all, it's like, is there anyone in the company responsible for this? Or is like, a, is this a company's mindset itself? Yeah, it's, it's definitely growth mindset, I, I believe, is uh, if you're a giant organization, it's usually cross-functional or cross-departmental, right? If you're a small organization, it's probably the whole organization's mindset is growth. And the reason why is like, if you take this idea of growth, right, and you break it down into smaller chunks, where does growth come from? Growth comes from, you know, good marketing. It comes from good product design. It comes from fast and reliable, you know, code deployment, it comes from wherever, right? And each one of these departments has individual goals that may not necessarily roll up to this idea of being growth or having good growth, right? So if a product development really only cares about um, a group, really only cares about putting in features that are interesting, but doesn't prioritize stuff that's revenue generating, it doesn't matter how good the coders are and it doesn't matter how good the marketers are, you're not building stuff that people are willing to pay for and thus growth doesn't happen or it happens pretty slow. So you need to have stakeholders from each department aligned on like, if we build this thing or if we go out there and design for this thing or if we go out there and market this thing, are we working on things that are gonna be complementary to one another that are gonna support the overall goal of growth for the organization? And that's really difficult to do, but it's the only way that growth really works or at least growth really works in scale. Yeah, so to that point, I was referring to when I was asking about like product design or product features. So are those are features that are revenue generation, right? Are features that are like just thought for making new revenue, not just by adding more stuff for current clients that are not willing to pay more for, for something new, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So within like um, within an agency context, right? It's really kind of understanding um, what what are the things that our customer set are willing to pay for, and like what couldn't they live without, right? So if you were to go to a customer and you were to say, you know, here are the ten things that our product does, or the ten things that our agency does, and have them do a simple exercise, such as a stack rank, which is simple, or maybe even a this or that comparison where you take each permutation of these things, right? So SEO or growth uh, or, or Facebook uh, marketing, Facebook marketing or Google marketing, Google marketing or SEO, and get them to pick this or that, this or that, this or that, and tabulate the results. What you learn very quickly is that your customers are actually voting for you, even though you're not asking, well, you are in this case, but um, your customers have an expectation for you that isn't articulated. And if you give them a framework to come through and say, this is what's important to me, what they're also telling you, not only is this important to me, they're also probably telling you I'm willing to pay more for it. And so that might tell, help you if you're an agency trying to figure out, do I build out you know, my team that's good at Facebook or do I build out my team that's good at SEO, right? You, you, help, you help yourself make that decision by asking your client, which one do they value more, right? And yeah. put them in a situation where there's scarcity and they can only vote for this or that. Aaron, in terms of measuring, like this, like growth. I remember you gave us three years ago a, a document that helped us a lot in prioritizing efforts at that time. Uh, like we measured effort hypothesis, impact, ease, 
and confidence, like how confident we were on, on that like hypothesis, like that feature or that marketing piece or whatever on, on having a, an, a positive ROI, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the average, we were able to understand if it was uh, worth to invest time and money now or, or not. Like, are you still, uh, I, I mean, that was very helpful for us. Are you still recommending people to use uh, these kind of, uh, of documents or, or measurements? Or how would you measure uh, growth today? Yeah, well, 500 Startups uses what you're referring to is called the ICE framework. And I just jammed a couple of links into the chat there for people to uh, take a look at. The first link explains what ICE um, framework does. And it, it, it is for product um, uh, use. It's also for like marketing and test use. So it, it's quite versatile. But the idea is like everyone's got a lot of ideas, but what makes, what differentiates a great company from, from a good company is the ability to, to focus on the things that you feel pretty good about um, actually moving the bottom line. And ICE framework is one way to do that. So you mentioned it's impact, it's confidence and it's effort. Impact, usually on a scale of one to 10, I've seen different systems, but impact um, is if we do this test or we, we prioritize this, this feature, what is the impact to the business? Is it gonna be high impact if you define that impact as like revenue growth or is it gonna be medium impact, right? So scale of one to 10. C is confidence. How confident are you that that's true, <laughs> right? <laughs> we think that ranking number one for car insurance is gonna do you know, a lot for us, but we don't know if that's true. So for example, our most voluminous, voluminous phrase at carinsurancerates.com was um, cheap car insurance, but it was actually the worst keyword phrase because people who are cheap car insurance always switched different car insurance policies. So they weren't worth a lot to our client and therefore it was not a very you know, uh, worthwhile phrase. So it would have been high impact, but low confidence there. We are not sure if this is something that's gonna move the needle that much. And then E is for effort. How hard is it gonna take to do this thing? Right. Is it technically complex? That's high effort. Is it, you know, a couple of changes? It's low effort. And so by taking the score of the impact, the confidence and the, um, uh, the effort you get for your product backlog, a way to quantify out of these 200 ideas we have, which of the two or three we should prioritize at first. And that's a part of that growth mindset, right? It's, it's coming back and revisiting this backlog, committing to only making a couple of changes at once staying agile, doing it quickly, you know, a normal two week sprint or something like this. Um, And then going and testing your assumptions, coming up with new ideas and then doing something new um, as you complete old tests, but really focusing on just a couple things at a time. Right, awesome. Yeah, I remember this being very helpful for us. On our, um, sorry. Um, And, Last question before we we jump into the in the into the Q and A. Now that I'm seeing uh, people asking some questions, and also guys, uh, I'm encouraging I'm encouraging you to to ask whatever you want. In in two minutes, we're going to, through through all those questions. And so, Aaron, this question is about 500 startups. Uh, there are 2,500 companies applying to 500 startups Silicon Valley batch every year, and just 1% of them get accepted. What would you recommend to those startups and those founders that are applying in order to get accepted? Yeah, I mean, this is tough because like, I, uh, I was a, a batch company a long, long time ago, batch 12, 2014, and I applied four times before I was accepted and every time I was crushed, right? Now I run the place. So like that just tells you how crazy the world is. (laughs) Um, But what I can tell you from that experience is that like a lot of startups have a lot of anxiety about applying for programs. Like if I don't get it right this time, they will remember that and never, you know, will I be able to get into a program again? And I can tell you at least for 500, that's just factually incorrect. we used to have, we're now on a recurring recruitment model so that the applications never close. You just apply whenever you want. But we used to have these deadlines, right? And startups, this is so bizarre. Startups would always wait until the last possible second to apply. And I guess they don't know what our workflow is, but like when we get, you know, 500 applications at the beginning, it's very easy to like go through those, 
But then when we get the last 2000 all in one day, it's hard to stick out in that crowd, right? So apply early, apply often, but update us every time that there's something interesting going on with the business and like specifically ask for feedback. So if you do get in um, to like a one-on-one -on -one interview, let's say, and I, and I would pause there only to say that um, a lot of the startups that I see apply for our program, I'd say a solid 20% are what we call lifestyle businesses, which is to say that this is not venture backable. I, I don't see you getting to a billion dollar valuation and it's not that I don't like you or that I don't like your business. It's that my investors, people who give me like millions of dollars in checks, <laughs> um, they're going to be really mad <laughs> if I go for, you know, something that isn't, you know, going to perform very well. So understanding whether or not you're truly building a startup or just a small business, there's no wrong answer. You can make a lot of money doing both um, and being honest with yourself about that. And even if you aren't building a venture backable business, which means help me understand how you're going to get to a billion dollar valuation. Um, what you can do is you can just go after different kinds of money, right? Angel investors often invest in stuff that's not necessarily venture backable or the billion dollar idea, right? So make sure you're going after the right kind of customer of the investor type, right? Um, someone who's going to be the right fit for you. Just because it's a no from 500 doesn't mean it's not going to be a no for some, from some angel group. So understand the difference in the money types. And then lastly, you know, um, just take good care of your mental health, <laughs> right? <laughs> Being a founder, like it, it sucks. <laughs> um, I don't know why. I mean, I've 500 is technically my first job. I've never worked for anyone before. Um, so it's an interesting experience to say the least. But um, when you're a founder and you're going through all the stuff that founders go through, um, it's that comes through during like interviews, right? It, it can sometimes be difficult to go into a room knowing full well that like statistically speaking, the answer is probably going to be no or not yet. And like, it's, it's hard to like project confidence in that moment. And really what you want out of an investor and the reason why I chose 500 when I had options and the reason why I like, you know, where I work um, uh, and give, you know, all the time that I have to it is because we're a no bullshit kind of place. I'm going to tell you what I think, and I'm also going to help you fix the problem, right? So if someone comes to me and says, your cap table is screwed up, or someone comes to me and says, I don't believe in your growth stack, or someone says to me, I don't think you're targeting the right kind of customer, you know, I'm, I can be wrong, but I'm going to talk you through that. Whereas a lot of investors are just going to say, no, thank you, and not give you any feedback. And that really like takes a toll on your brain because <laughs> you're like, well, I don't have any way to improve, but also... I feel like I gave my best, so maybe there's nothing to improve. You don't ever know, right? So, so working with, with investors um, or working with like mentors and people who can help you take good care of your, your mental space, but also make sure you're getting in front of the right people so you're having good conversations, not just you know conversations with whoever picked up the phone is extremely important. And when it comes to 500, you know, referrals are always nice, but like I look for founders who are gonna engage me like a peer because like I don't want someone to give me what they think I want to hear. Cause if you're not going to help me identify what's broken, I take a longer time to help you fix it. Right. I want to hear the truth. I want to hear, I don't have an idea what the fuck I'm doing because I already know you don't. Right. I, I run seven companies at no point that I feel like on the, even the good days where I'm like, yeah, I got this under control. Right. You never do. So like understand that that's like, that's the playing field and just like embrace it. Say, you know what? I don't know what the answer is. But I have a pretty good idea what the question is. Help me get through that and find a partner who can support you through that process. Nice. Great, Aaron. Thanks. We have a lot of questions here, at least five, six, five of them. Uh, you want to pick? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just go in order here. Um, so how is this different than doing a search inside LinkedIn Navigator? Um, it's... I mean, like, I don't like, so this is a Sanjay. What I, what I, what I find Sanjay is that like the LinkedIn sales navigator does a little less good of a job combing through the text of what people put in. So for example, you remember like the example said Mina and innovation. You're not going to find that always inside of a person's job title, which is usually how like, like LinkedIn searches. So you can do more with that. Um, but my personal preference is to go through Google because you're going to find a lot more results that way. And just a, a note on putting together those results, you'll typically want to make sure that, you know, of the 10 people who are listed on that first page, 
at least five or six are the type of person you're looking for. If not that, then go and like modify the query. Otherwise you're capturing a lot of false positives. Um, also Google's free and LinkedIn Navigator, LinkedIn um, Navigator's not. So I like to do things that don't cost me money um, even if it is a little extra work. I hope that answers your question. Um, I've never used this button before, so I don't know what we're doing here. Um, next up, uh, Sanjay again. Wow, Sanjay is our rock star. Go Sanjay. Um, if you have their business email, Facebook may not match the email since people use personal email for Facebook. That's correct. Um, and that's why I use tools to go get personal email addresses. Contact out is the one that I prefer to use. Um, if you are having a hard time finding that, you know, uh, that's kind of on you. I have a good answer there, except to say use tools that, that produce um, uh, personal email addresses. And again, I recommend contactout.com for that. So they also ask contactout does not list pricing. Wow. Um, any idea what it is roughly? Uh, they don't list pricing because it's tiered. Um, the contact out is also a 500 service company. Um, the CEO's name is Rob. Tell him, you know, Aaron, um, he'll probably grumble, but you know, maybe he'll catch a deal. Um, it's usually per record, if I'm not mistaken, though they were going through some pricing model changes last time I checked. So my best answer there is ask contact out. Uh, next question, Sanjay again. Uh, the question, how is this different than doing a search inside LinkedIn Navigator was in context of a site search on Google? Okay, um, I feel like I answered this question. Let me know if I didn't. Um, happy to give you some more color there. Sanjay, did you wanna say something? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think here Sanjay is saying that the question, the question she did before was uh, for in, like with this context and and on the on the following question, same thing, so just giving context. Yeah. Yeah. All Got questions it. answered. Thank you. Great. I, you know what? I live for Sanjay. And the and for the rest of you who are watching and not typing questions, how dare you? Um, I know you don't have all the answers. I don't even have all the answers and I've been doing this for a while. Um, what I'm going to share though, inside of, um, all right, so I have another one over in the chat. Would you please repeat the name of that tool to extract those emails? I'll do you one better. I'll give you some links. Give me just a second. Aaron, here we have another question that says, would you prioritize, would you prioritize constant growth hacking over long-term efforts? Uh, so hold on, let me finish Gonzalo first. So I would say this, um, and what I just put into the chat there, I think everyone should be able to see it is an example of that Google search query, a link to the plugin for, um, uh, Lucia, which is the first one, a link into the plugin for contact out, which is the second one or the third link. Um, Lucia again does corporate contact out does personal. In most cases, I'm um, not always 100% hit rate, but you know, it's imperfect. And then um, both of them have APIs, which means that you can just jam a list of LinkedIn URLs, which is how you return results in bulk. Um, or you can use like one-off if you're just going, you know, contact by contact and finding something. Uh, hopefully that's useful. And then I'm also gonna jam in here a link to the growth hacking presentation. Um, again, for 500 startups attendees, we're gonna go through all of these in a little bit more detail. Um, sometime soon. Uh, for everybody else who's um, looking at this, there's, there, I give you as much context as possible, but the idea here is to like give you um, a lot of examples uh, as opposed to uh, just to get you thinking like a growth hacker as opposed to like high instruction, here's how you do it, step one, two, three. Getting back to the question, um, would you prioritize constant growth hacking over long-term efforts? Um, depends. And the way that I think about that is how much money you got, right? You know, it's really easy to, to make a flip from um, being a growth hacker to just like throwing money at a problem after your A round, right? But getting to your A round is gonna require you to be a little bit more resourceful. Um, and that's that to me is the difference in like where things lie. Um, when I am helping a startup think about a problem, um, the first question I ask is how much runway you got, right? Because that tells me automatically what tools are off the table. Um, if somebody tells me I've only got three months worth of runway, I know that we're not doing an SEO campaign, for example, because even for like low competition phrases, it can take, you know, even the savviest startups up to six months to execute an SEO campaign well, at least for the first time. 
So like, if they tell me they've got three months left, then I'm like, okay, I can't use that tool. I've got to think of something else, right? So um, the way that you want to think about pivoting from growth hacking to long-term growth is like, don't become dependent on it. Growth hacking is a little bit like drugs. They work fast, <laughs> right? But they also fade off and like the come down is not great, <laughs> right? So like, like if, if, you, if you have a growth hacking hangover, um, it's because like you have, you put a lot of like effort into, um, going and doing these things, but you eventually want to find a way to, to replace that with something else. So I think of it like, like the 80, 20 rule, which is to say, you know, spend 80% of your time doing the growth hack and 20% of your time trying to figure out how to turn it into something that scales. Otherwise you teach your body to be dependent on candy all the time. And that's not good for you. Right. Um, I hope that is good of an answer for you. Anonymous attendee. Manuel asks, hey, can you recommend a book or course on growth hacking? No. <laughs> but what I can, what I can recommend, and this is why, um, by the time someone posts an article or something about a growth hack, usually the service that's affected takes steps to go and address the loophole that growth hacks, which by definition are kind of like exploiting weaknesses, they'll go and they'll improve it, right? So this presentation that, I, that I'm giving to you all, I, please don't tweet it. This is for like 500 and friends only. Um, the idea here is that these are things that I know work right now, right? And I come through and I update this once every few months, right? With stuff like, okay, that doesn't work anymore. Let's replace it with something else. Um, where I go to get my inspiration, maybe is the right question. I go to that growth hackers community. So that's uh, one of the first links that I add. It was growthhackers.com. And I'll go through there and I'll say, I'll, I'll read how people are approaching problems. And a lot of times it's not about, oh, this is a trick, step one, two, three, that's gonna work for me. It's more of, oh yeah, I didn't think to use Yelp in this way. That's interesting. Um, I recently worked with one of my startups that does, like their target customer is a like engineer DevOps person. And they took, you know, a Growth Hackers article plus something I taught them and now they can get email addresses based on this thing that they built for Stack Overflow, right? This is a place where developers go and like discuss problems, kind of like a Reddit, but specifically for tech, right? So they took a couple of different like things that they saw other places and they, they turned that into a tool that helped them grow their business. So like I said, it's very much a mindset. Growth hacking is a mindset. Um, and you can go to these places, don't look for instructions, look for inspiration. And if you try something that doesn't work, get rid of it. Don't do months and months like trying to get good at it because there's a million growth hack tricks. And you should also lean into the things that your company is good at. So for example, when a startup comes to me and says, hey, I need a growth hack. I'm like, all right, well, what are you good at, right? Are you good at SMS marketing, right? You're good at sending text messages. Are you good at cold calls? You're good at emails. And let's find a growth hack that complements your strength. That way we focus on getting the growth hack just right rather than getting the growth hack right and also building an email skill or also building an SMS skill, right? So pick the thing that you're good at and like really lean into it and find creative new ways to do it and just like lean into that really hard. That's usually where the best growth hacks come from. Uh, I see Manuel is happy with that. Very good. Great, six, six minutes on the clock. Were you going to share something in your presentation or not? No. Yeah, I mean, there's there's 60 growth hacks in there. So I'll let okay. people go through them and like, just sort of like pick stuff that works. It's B2B, B2C, investor stuff a little bit, um, some funny gifs, some life advice. Uh, give it a read. Uh, oh, one more. What's that? Life advice. Life like advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a guy that's seen some shit, so. Uh, remember at the end of the day, running a business, running a startup, it doesn't define you. <laughs> so don't take defeats and that kind of stuff personally. And there's some like epithets, there's some, uh, uh, lines about that in there. Um, all right. So could you please repeat the answer to this question? If you have their business email, Facebook may not match the email, blah, 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 blah. So, um, really what you want to do is find a service or find a way to find these people that also gives you their personal email addresses. So for example, if we're doing, um, and I'm gonna share my screen again one more time, or I'm gonna try to. Talk about a product that's going through it. Like, I wouldn't wanna be Zoom right now, right? Like they went from like, nobody knows them to like everybody uses them to breathe and that's just really interesting. So, um, okay, so if we're gonna do, 
a quick growth hack here, right? We're going to say side, show me LinkedIn. Show me, I recently did something for Oakland, California and marketing, I guess. I teach this trick a lot. So you already have their, their professional email address, right? And you want to turn that into a uh, personal email address. I don't know of many tools that do that well that I would be willing to pay for. There are a few out there. You do a search for like convert work email to personal email. But I think the right way to do it is don't fix it on what you have. In this case, fix it on what you can get. So like here, you've got 66,000 results for people in Oakland, California who happen to do marketing. And if you're selling a marketing service, right? Something like marketing manager or something like this, um, just come in here and for each one of these people, you know, if you've already got their, their, their uh, work address, and I've seen work addresses actually work, particularly for marketing folk, because you tend to tether your Facebook account to your work address, and Facebook definitely uses that. But um, if you're doing something that's kind of outside of that sphere, what I'm recommending is use something like, oh, this is really slow. Use something like Google or LinkedIn Navigator. There's no wrong way to growth hack, right? Um, use something like this to find your target customer, whoever that person may be. And then when you get in to something like this, use tools that will return their personal information. So in this case, I'm gonna recommend contact out. That's this little button here. Very slowly. Right, and so here's, here's Matt's Gmail address. Sorry, Matt, I hope, I hope you don't value your privacy. So you can go and you can do this on, a one, on an ad hoc way, right? And to build your custom audience that way, or like I said, you can come and you can scrape all of the links here and jam them over to um, contact out via their upload tool and it'll spit back, you know, hundreds or in this case, 66,000 um, email records and you can build a custom list this way. So, you know, uh, shorter version of that answer, I don't know, I don't believe in a lot of tools that go from take the business and convert it to personal because there's not really a way to link both of those that doesn't involve LinkedIn, so just use LinkedIn. Great, um, do I have a favorite growth hack technique? Each one of my growth hack techniques are, they're my children, right? And, and I love all of my children. Uh, it depends on what I'm trying to do. Um, the one that I am most proud of in the two minutes we have left, let's see, where would I put this one? Like this one's good for B2C, who we haven't really talked about much in this, um, in this context. Hello. Well, while I'm slowly scrolling or things are like frozen. Um, what I can tell you about this particular uh, growth hack, it should be on slide 32 if I'm not mistaken, is you'll go through, this goes back to my Craigslist days. You go and you create fake classified ads, right? Cause it's free, right? So let's pretend that you're, you, ha you have a kid's product, right? You're selling a, um, a service for, or, or some sort of product that's marketed to kids. Um, well, what we know is that kids aren't gonna buy it. It's probably parents that are gonna buy it. So we need to find people who, have parent, who are parents of children. Um, what you can do is you can go to major metropolitan areas because you're getting a lot of eyeballs, right? And you just post a bunch of crazy sizes like, hey, I've got this like, I don't know, preschool and we're closing down. We've got all these free toys, right? And you know, I'd love to ship these to organizations that want them, parents, you name it. Just come over to my website and let me know what you want and I'll ship it to you. It's free, right? People presented with an offer like that, free toys for my kids, are going to click on that offer, right? So you send them to a website, you know, freekidstoys.biz, right? Uh, and while they're there, it's just like, sorry, out of toys, wah wah. But that's not why you sent them there. You sent them there because you wanted to pixel them with your Facebook pixel. And now using your actual brand, not this other fake phony website that you made up, you can start retargeting these people for a fraction of the cost because the way Facebook thinks about billing is discovering customers can be up to 10 times the price of engaging customers you already have. And the reason they do that is because I they would rather flood your um, feed with things that are familiar to you than stuff that like feels like, why is this targeting me, right? So um, retargeting usually comes at a pr significant price discount. So by tricking people who are parents into doing a thing and visiting a website where I can put a pixel on them, I can now start to remarket to them, having broken a service promise that I never intended to keep on a fake brand that has nothing to do with my real brand. And you can do this a bunch of different ways. Um, but yeah, that's one of my favorites that came top of mind. 
Um, I am due for my next thing. Santi, what, what can I you're, do? You're the biggest, you're the biggest spammer I ever met. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm, I'm a growth hacker and, and, and hacker yeah. comes at a price, but believe me, everybody on the call, when I say you can do this, you just have to like be resourceful, you know, like draw inspiration from other places, go subscribe to growth hackers, go get some of these a try. My email address is, is in there as well. Um, and good luck. Happy hacking. Nice. Aaron, thank you very much. You always been very helpful for us as a company. Uh, and I'm happy that you're now sharing the, the tips and the tricks that you shared with us, with the rest of the community. So, Thanks for everything. Thanks for showing up today and let's keep in touch. Yep, happy to do it. Take care everyone, bye-bye. Bye-bye.